You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word? Because today we need to hear from the Hebrew scriptures what it means to be lost and found. Today, let's find out what it looks like seeking to be found. 2 Chronicles 15, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. Verse 7, hear this. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Let's pray. Lord, we ask today that your spirit will be with us, that God, you will convict us, that we will not listen to these words and make assumptions about our heart. Help us, Lord, to dig deep into not just what we think, but the way we act. And God, we want to know as we walk out of this place today that we are in a relationship with you and that, Lord, the blood spilled on the cross is covering us and that, Lord, we have the hope of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a quick story. A young man, 15 years old, was walking by an old primitive Methodist church on January 6th, 1850, just a few years ago. It was a snowy day. And Charles Spurgeon had stepped into this little church to escape the cold. Charles Spurgeon had a grandfather who had one of the best theological libraries in that area where he lived. And so Spurgeon had grown up reading all about God and theology. I would say there were few men his age in that time that would have known more about God. A layman was preaching that day, and Spurgeon later remarked that the man was simple. He did not have a very profound message. In fact, he kept repeating the same thing again and again, and yet the Spirit was working that day. This preacher would look at Spurgeon, at Charles Spurgeon, who would become the Prince of Baptist Preachers, and he said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And there was a man who knew theology, knew it inside and out, but just those words, look, 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 you have nothing to do but look and live. And those words changed everything. I want you to realize today that as we think about salvation, the way of salvation, it may seem very simple. When we talk about conversion, it seems like just a few words uttered either in an altar or maybe at your house, and then that's it. You've taken care of business. You can go on about uh, the, the, the life that you're going to live, but that's not true. Spurgeon spent the rest of his life trying to unpack what happened on that, on that snowy day in 1850. He knew for certain that he had received Jesus on that day, but it was so profound. Could it be that simple? And throughout the years, he came to the conclusion that, yes, indeed, it is that simple, When God moves and you receive Christ, he will change your life. 
But as we were talking this morning, some of the deacons that gathered with me to pray, one of the deacons said this. It's a, uh, something that uh, Pastor Hosey used to say. He said, you know, I'm kind of worried that a lot of Christians are Christians, but really what they've done is they've come in and just sprinkled a little Jesus on their life, and they're pretty well living the same life with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on. You know, I think every pastor worries about that. I think all of us who are, are, are thinking about our relationship with God ought to wonder if sometimes, if we've really changed, have our hearts been changed by the gospel Are we here today because of some reason other than our love for Jesus? Are we here today because someone is is dragging us along? Are we here today just because that's what we do by rote on Sunday mornings? Why are you here? Why, Why do you come? These are fair questions, but we need to ask them of ourselves. Salvation is not something that I can get up here and spell out for you, your experience with God. I I can't tell you exactly what it feels like. Exactly how to know that you know in your heart, but when you know, you know. Salvation is a mystery of God. But I want to say this, and I want you to hear me. Salvation is a mystery of God, but it is not a rare thing. I believe that God loves people so much that he saves people by the droves. I believe that he'll save you today. Salvation comes to all who call on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13. The old hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This is one man's telling of his story, John Newton, of course. This amazing grace idea that we often sing, that's one man's story, but many of us can say, yes, that's my story too. I once was lost, but now I'm found. There was a time when I was blind to spiritual things, and now my eyes can see spiritual things. But I want you to realize that this little line from this very popular old hymn tells a very important story. And that is, if you are here today and you are a believer, you will have in your mind knowledge that there was a time when you were not a believer. I've heard it said this way, if you were never lost, you've never been saved. If you don't have any recollection, any memory of ever being a sinner or needing to pray a prayer to God, you've just always felt like that you were okay with God, that's a deception. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we are saved, we must first be convicted of our sins. And that's what we see in the Old Testament and at the New Testament. It is only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we avoid a devil's hell. And it is for that reason that we must share the cross of Christ with our neighbors and the nations. 8,400 times in the next year we want to share the gospel. Why? Why do we want to do that? We want to do that because we believe that everybody's either lost or they are found. We want, to, we want people to hear the gospel. We believe with all of our hearts here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church that Jesus is the way. Our journey in the text today begins here in the southern kingdom of Judah around 900 B.C., King Asa is one of the few bright spots in Judah. He is on the throne of David, and every once in a while, he even acts like David. Every once in a while, we see him really doing things God's way. In fact, in the first two chapters of his story here in this particular book, in 2 Chronicles, in the first two chapters of the three chapters we have on him, this is a man that seems to be as good as it gets. The third chapter, not so much. He did not finish well. But he was working hard for the Lord here in chapter 15. In fact, we see here in chapter 15 a second reform and revival that Asa, King Asa, led. 
And this follows close on the heels of a big military victory. Israel, or actually Judah and Benjamin had won this great victory against the bad guys. In this instance, they were from Ethiopia, the Cushites. They were outnumbered about two to one, and God gave them victory. And in the midst of that victory, instead of leaning back, like so many of you are going to do today, the prophet says to Asa, King Asa, lean in for a minute. Let me draw near to you, King, and let's talk about what God is doing. Let's talk about the bigger picture because battles and wars and winning this great battle, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is your relationship with the Lord. And that's why we want to listen and draw in. So draw in with me as this prophet of old speaks, not just to a king of old, but to all of us here in the room today. First, the Lord is with you now. Here is the good news. You have been found. Let me say, your eternal soul is worthy of more than my opinion or your opinion. We need a word from the Lord. Notice in our passage that that's where it starts. Hear hear this. When God is at work in the church, it's the voice of God that people are hearing, never the voice of a man. It is not up to me to be clever enough to have you get saved. If you get saved, it's because God shows up and you listen. God shows up and Asa listens. Now, in this instance, it's uh, Azariah, this prophet of old. By the way, he's only mentioned here. This is the only brief moment that he is on the stage of Scripture. But this brief moment on the stage of Scripture tells us that he was a man of God. And he spoke as he was uh, told to speak by the Spirit. He speaks the word of God to the servant of God, Asa. And Asa was blessed to have the word with him. I believe, and I believe this with all of my heart, that even people today that have no desire to go to church, it's an awful pretty day out there, and a lot of people, the last place they wanted to come was, was to a church. They decided to go out and do their own thing. I get that. But I believe even those people have a curiosity. They, they're asking questions down deep inside of themselves all the time about the purpose and meaning of life All thinking people, I believe, all of you who are here and you're thinking, you know that there has to be something more going on. There's something about you that's special in this universe. You have, I believe, the image of God in you. And I believe people are curious. I believe people want to know more. And I think those of us who have grown closer to God over the years, it's not that we're smarter, it's just that we've been in the presence of God a little bit, and I think the world is curious to know what's different about us. Something down deep in our genetic structure is crying out for something more than this world provides us. Almost every culture, I can't think of one, to be honest with you, in the world, has some concept or conceptualization of God. Now, they don't all have the right image of God. I believe that that is revealed to us. How do we know that the image of God that we have is the image that is true? Well, we believe that God has spoken, that he has given us his word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. We have the written word. We have the word, which is Jesus. We have those things which are direct connections to God and his will. And we believe that that is what God wants us to know about him. We believe this. Our passage today shows that if you have any kind of curiosity aimed in the direction of God, you won't find God, but he'll find you. Now notice that. 
There's a big difference there. You have the desire and the impetus to find God, but the beauty is he comes to you. All right? That's kind of how we like it in our culture today. Used to, you had to actually go to a fast food restaurant to get your hamburger. Now somebody will bring it to you for 10 bucks. And I am shocked how many people will pay twice as much for a burger just so they don't have to get out of the house. Whew, we lazy. But anyway, maybe God knew before DoorDash how lazy we are. And so he made it to where you don't have to climb this mountain. He comes down to you. That's the incarnation. He comes down to you. He knows what you need. And if you will take even baby steps today in the direction of God, I'm telling you, he'll make up the difference. That's how good he is. In fact, the Lord is with you now. Look at verse 2. The Lord, Yahweh, the personal name of God, he is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Yeah, you'll find him, but it's because he is there. Though God is ultimate mystery and far beyond us, he is always ready to be found. And some of you in this room, it's time for you to be found out. I don't mean in your sins. Yes, you got to get those off your chest. You got to confess those to Jesus. But here's the deal. I pray that you will be found out and that you will find that God loves you, that he cares for you. He cared enough to give you his word. He cares enough to minister to you today through the word. This is a beautiful gift from God, the nearness of God through Christ. Speak to him. Talk to him. Have a relationship with him, and he will respond. Many of us here today know what it feels like to be lost. In talking with people over the years, that's what a testimony really is. It's a, it, it's a confession of what it felt like to be lost and then found. That's all it is. If you have a Christian confession, it's really not much more complex than that. It doesn't take 20 minutes to tell, unless you're a preacher. Um, about two or three minutes can do. People need to know what, what it was like when you were not with Jesus, that you found Jesus, and what's changed since you've been with Jesus. Now, let me just say, it's that last part that concerns so many of us who are watching the culture, so many of us who are concerned about nominal, name-only Christianity. I've heard people tell, well, I was this, and then I had a moment when I walked down the, the aisle, and yeah, they've cleaned up their act a little bit, they've sprinkled a little bit of Jesus on the equation, but they've really not turned around. Friends, that's not enough. We need to realize if we do our best to hold on to Jesus, he will hold on to us. As I was meditating on this concept, it just, I just had the picture, how easy it is for us to have this picture of a busy street and your dad standing right beside you when you were a little one and he's holding your hand, your, your little hand in his big hand and he's holding on to you and there is nowhere to go. You are not getting away from dad. He knows the danger. He sees the peril. And as long as you keep your hand in his, you will make it safely across. Friends, that is the picture I get in verses 1 and 2. And that is that the Lord is with us. That even today, the Lord is reaching out for your hand. You have been found. You have been found. And, and know this, you've been found out. God knows your sins. And yet, as your heavenly Father, he loves you. He wants to save you. 
And that brings us to point two, the choice to obey is yours. You must not waver. You must not waver. Remember a moment ago I said that there's something in us that's curious, that's trying to find God? Well, that curiosity can go the other direction too. Our curiosity in us can either drive us closer to God or that curiosity can drive us further along the path that the flesh presents, the carnal pleasures, the sinful pleasures of the flesh. You see, when God reveals his truth to you, it's not automatic. There is something there for you to receive, and you must not waver. The natural state of a sinful human being is to move away from the obvious presence of Jesus and to the obvious possibilities sin provides the flesh. What's the old saying? Uh, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. You ever heard that before? Old wives' tale. Maybe it's a Ben Franklin thing. I don't know where it came from exactly. But let me say this. That kind of saying... Uh, points to what I'm warning you about. The pleasures of the flesh are immediate gratification. They're within your reach in a way that seems a whole lot easier than anything spiritual. The spiritual disciplines, the blessings of God are not so clear to the rational thinking eyes and mind, but they are better and they are eternal. We need to realize that we have a choice to obey. Whichever direction we go is going to determine where our souls spend eternity. Notice the second part of verse 2. But if you forsake him, God, Yahweh, he will forsake you. Following Jesus is a choice. Forsaking Jesus is a choice. Following Jesus keeps you in the presence of your creator and savior. Forsaking Jesus puts you in the line of fire for all manner of wickedness. Unfortunately, the majority of our text, which I won't spend much time on this negative part, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, the majority of our seven verses today are warning verses, warning us not to forsake the way of God. Notice again, verse 3, for a long time Israel was, at, was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. Remember what I said a moment ago as we were just getting ready to read the text. Is it possible that the entire Old Testament is just a testimony of a people who had God all around them, but not God within them. And I wonder how many of us in this room have testimonies where we were raised by parents or grandparents or an aunt or an uncle, or we had friends in school that brought us to church. We have had Jesus and hymns and good things, good music, good sermons, good everything, good ministry. We've been surrounded by it. We can sing the songs of Zion. We just don't know the one who created Zion. We can talk a little theology, but our hearts are not close to God. Israel knew of God, but they did not have a relationship with God. And I wonder how many of us in this room know of God, but do not have a relationship with God. Friends, what we see here is, is that this is the problem, not just of Israel, but of our age. The book of Judges is another prime example of this. People doing what is right in their own eyes is the whole book of Judges. 
Look around us. We see people who seem to be doing what is right in their own eyes. I don't want to piddle around here and I don't want to pick away, but I'm just watching people, not just young families, but families of all ages, making choices that have nothing to do with the glory of God and the furtherance of the kingdom. We keep making choices and we say it's what's best for us, what I need, what my family needs. Listen, when those needs you have are pulling you away from the presence of God, those are not spiritual needs. That's not gratifying and glorifying God. That's gratifying the self. I'm looking at a culture, and this is what scares me, that's more and more like Israel, inasmuch as we know the language, we're just not living the life. When we make the choices, we know exactly what we're doing. We know we're choosing self over Savior, and we keep doing it. That's the choice. That's the choice we're talking about. Did you think when I said the choice that I was talking about that one day you'd just wake up and say, you know, I think I'd rather go to the other place, the bad place. Trying to be careful. There's kids in the room. But you know what I'm talking about. No, nobody wakes up and just says something like that that's in the right mind. That's not the way it works. The way it works is, is we forsake God little by little, inch by inch, day by day, week by week, month by month, and then in years, we are far from God. We still know the language of Zion, but we don't know the Lord of Zion in our hearts. These are the choices I'm talking about. This is the sort of Long time of spiritual dryness spoken of by the prophet in verse 3. In verses 5 and 6, in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Notice this, they were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. Let me tell you, when you go after the flesh, you don't get to stay in a good place. The flesh gets crushed because that's what the devil does. The devil wants you to pursue flesh because that's how he will crush you. Jesus would have you chase after the spirit because that's how you are lifted up. You must turn to him. You must yearn to turn to him. Judges 2.18 says this, but when in their, or verse 4 says this, and it's matched up in Judges 2.18, but when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. That's what God wants us to see, that when we are in distress, if we will turn to him, we will be saved. Now I want to be serious for just a moment with you. When we talk about a guy serious about doing his job, Asa was serious about doing his job. We learn that he purged the, the land of false teaching, idols, and sin. We see that in chapter 14. Let me tell you how serious he was about it. Verse 16 of chapter 15, so 15, 16, um, he literally uh, removes his grandmother uh, from her position of authority. So he goes after grandma. That's pretty serious. But he goes after grandma because grandma's not going after Yahweh. Asa understands that a little bit of poison in the, in the porridge poisons the whole thing. He understands that, that, that there's no exceptions, even in a situation like this. And look at the exceptions we're making. 
So often, our exceptions are there because we say we're doing it out of love for those we care about. But listen, what your family needs, what our church and community needs, we need people who love Jesus, who are filled with Jesus, who are celebrating Jesus, full of grace and truth, not compromising every day and going their own way. Sin brings unimaginable pain to your heart. Why why do we keep doing it? Why? Why do we keep choosing to say things that Jesus would never say and to behave in ways that Jesus would never behave and then call ourselves Christ followers? Why? Why are we doing this? You must choose to receive and live out the gospel every day of your Christian walk. No exceptions. Did not Joshua say in Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve? And the next day you're going to have to do it again. And the next day and the next day and the next day. Because every day your heart is going to chase after some idol or another. Every day. The choice is yours. It truly is. Please do not waver. I want to finish in verse 7, which is on a high note. I told you that there was this bit of darkness uh, in, the, in the center of the text, 2B, uh, literally in the middle of 2, verse 2 there, down to verse 6. But let's get down to verse 7 uh, and see a beautiful picture here. The joy of the Lord is yours. I'm so glad we sang that song earlier. Uh, you can rest. Hear me. In this room today, as we've been talking about these heavy things, I, 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 let me say this first. I, I feel like you are leaning in today. I, I, don't know, I don't know what's different than last week, but you're listening to me today. I want you to hear this, okay? What we've talked about is heavy, but I'm saying these heavy things to you because I am longing, and I am longing for you to experience the Sabbath of God. How many people in your life are resting well? How many people in this room are resting well in Jesus. I'm here to tell you that God is near us, and if we choose to obey him, he will draw nearer to us. Our relationship with Jesus can get stronger. It doesn't have to get weaker. It is so sad to see stories like Saul, like Asa, like so many who later in their life, Solomon, they start out so strong and they finish so weak. Why? Because they forget to preach the gospel to themselves every day. They try to find another way. This morning as I was meditating on chapter 16, it's just so sad. Let me tell you one more sad thing and then I promise we'll just go to joy, okay? One more sad thing. I promise. Asa. He's outnumbered two to one. The Ethiopians have him two to one. Those are bad odds if you're a general. Two to one. God gives him victory. Later on in his life, he has an issue with the neighbor to the north, Israel, and instead of trusting in the Lord, he calls in a favor up in Syria to a pagan king and has him take care of business instead of God. A few verses later, we are told that he had a sickness in his feet. I don't know what that is, but it must have been bad. But instead of calling on the Lord, Asa called for the doctor. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with calling for a doctor, but in this instance, it's clear he wasn't asking God to heal him. So in two instances, at the end of his journey, 
Instead of being in the presence of God and continuing to trust in God, he walked away. And I want to tell you, I don't care who you are. You can tell me right now all of your victories, all the miracles you've seen in your life. But there are too many instances in scripture where people were leaning on those miracles of old and forgot to keep walking with God. It hit me this morning. I don't know. I'm in still pretty good shape. I think I can keep going for a while. I think I got 17, 18, 19 years of preaching in me yet, maybe. But the Lord just told me, you haven't got one more day left in you if you don't depend on me. I've been thinking a lot about my weakness. I've been thinking a lot about your weakness, our weakness collectively. And the only thing that puts a smile on my face is that when we are weak, he is strong. And if we will admit our weakness, that becomes our strength. And when we have his strength, we have his rest. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. That's a promise to Asa. That's a promise to you and me. Just keep walking. If you are a follower of Christ, don't take for granted that you have to keep walking with Christ. Don't take a step away from the path that he has set. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Walk with him. Talk with him. Sing to him. Pray to him. Share him. Prosperity is promised here, and it comes. Second Chronicles 15, 15, listen to this. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. Love that phrase. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Hey. Hello. You still with me? <laughs> Somebody is. Are you with me? Wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great to have the peace of God in your heart right now? Instead of all those worries you brought in here today, some of you more than others, but wouldn't it be great to just be able to rest in Jesus for a change? Wouldn't it be great to believe what you believe, to say what you believe, to live what you believe? Wouldn't it be better than what you've been doing? Listen, there is a Sabbath for the people of God. I'm just afraid too few of us are finding it. We are strung out, worn out, and it shows. Friends, I'm talking about eternal life here today. Make, make no mistake. But I'm talking about your life. Your life in this world. We are wearing ourselves out for all the wrong reasons. The prophet Jeremiah says this, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, declares the Lord. Again and again, the scriptures are telling us that there is reward and peace for us if we will listen to God. Why are we not listening? Why do we continue to try to find our own way forward when God is giving us the way? Oh, brothers and sisters, God is here. Hebrew history is thousands of years in the making. When you're reading Genesis uh, all the way through the, the minor prophets, you're reading several thousands of years of history. And I have to tell you, for the majority of that history, the people seem lost. 
But from time to time and from generation to generation, there were people who wanted more than to just know about God. They wanted a personal relationship with God. And if that is where you're at this morning, you are tired of just knowing a few things about God, but you really want to walk with him, I want you to come forward, talk with us and pray with us that you may be found. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.